Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I want to gather some of my favorite people who are advocates of children and nature and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. My next guest is a father, a husband, an adventurer and nature lover, and most of all, an advocate of neighborhood play for all. His commitment to children's rights play have sparked a revolution in nature play in Australia and has worked tirelessly to make his region the most playable city in the world. Today, we're talking about our favorite topic, children in nature, neighborhood play-based initiatives, and how we can all support children within our communities. Back on The Worthy Podcast, he was our first guest ever on Play It Forward, and he's back again. Welcome to the podcast and Play It Forward. Hey, I know, Mosa. Thanks, Lucas. Thanks for having us back. Uh, thanks for taking time to have this really important conversation. No problem. Most of all, a good friend and play advocate. Um, we're both on the board for the Australian Institute of Play as a disclaimer there, just trying to reach as many people as possible. Yes. Just got this little mission. Yeah, uh, it's not daunting at all. As I was talking to the people involved with Play Scotland Charter, they're like, well, it took 15 years to get the charter in place. And I was like, all right, this is a long game. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. We should start now. Yes, absolutely. We should have started 15 years ago. It would have been perfect. <laughs> um, but we generally start out by asking where you played as a child. We've done that. That's old hat for you. Yes. So a better question, I think, would be, what does the place where you wish all children played look like? Well, that's a, a great question. You know, the dream for me is that the, the neighbourhood being is restored as the central sanctuary for children and their play. I know for most adults now, their neighbourhood was the most important place for them as a child, the most important. If you were to ground a child back in those times, you know, the adults of today, if you were to take that adult and back into his childhood and say, you're grounded, no play today, just for one day even, that would hurt immensely the heart of, of that child. And why is that pain so significant to that child? It's because everything that a child needs, the neighbourhood gives them. Everything the child desires, the neighbourhood is giving them. And that, what, what is it that's been given to them? Access to fun, friends, freedom and fluency, which is challenge. Now, what is, why, why are they so important to kids? It's because innately, Inside of each child is an adult waiting to become. And the neighbourhood is the journey, is the, is the ground. It's, it's ground zero for that adult to become. It's how they practice and test and trial everything that's meaningful to them. It's not just that even. It's so much more. It's also a place where kids make sense of everything that's going on for them right now. I know, you know, here we are in a pan in the middle of a pandemic. I've heard of some incredible games that kids are playing in in order to make sense of the pandemic. They're playing it out because it's 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 front of mind for them. And you know, this is how they work through their stresses. This is how they deal with the traumas of their lives, no matter how big or small play is is a is a way for kids to make sense and process and test all these theories so 
back to the original question, what does a uh, what does a, a a place where all children play look like? A place where a child can walk outside their front door, and they're not scared. They're not scared of where they live, and they can look up and down the street, and they know where the kids are. They know their names. They know their ages. They know nuances about those children. They know what that child likes to eat. What that child likes to drink. What that favorite games of that child is. They know who is their best friends uh, potentially. They have several backups of friends if their best friend isn't there so they can do that either side but it's not just the kids they also know the adults in those streets they know the ones where they can rely on for help the sources of support and also the parents behind those children also can walk out on those streets and also know their neighbors and their friends i'm not describing a utopia here by the way this is something that we all had and there are still pockets of it going uh, now, but it's definitely not the norm for for, for childhood these days. Uh, that culture of a sanctuary for children to test and trial who they are and master it uh, largely has disappeared. And correlatingly, we have all these issues going growing for children. Social isolation and loneliness is earmarked as the next biggest health concern for our community, and kids are right in amongst it all. They are lonely when, and they are isolated when they don't have access to a neighbourhood for, for play, when they can't walk outside their front door. And then you've mentioned briefly there, what are the long-term impacts that we're seeing? Because this has been ongoing for a while now and you're on the front line, you're out in neighbourhoods trying to activate play and seeing the impact on these communities. What are the standout long-time impacts from this deprivation? A, sen a sense of distrust and fear of each other that's so embedded that they can't move past it. Mm. And that distrust and fear reduces the horizons of children and their capacity to play. I've watched communities that have had goats at connecting their kids and the adults cannot move past their distrust. They will not let their child go off to play with another child without them. So then the child's play is totally dictated by the adult's time frames. When the adult gets home from work, when the adult's not too tired to go out and take their car, child out to play, when the adult's got some capacity to make that happen, all centres around that adult agenda. You know, and that puts a lot of pressure on the adult, the parents. Mm. But more importantly, it stops the child being able to do their, do their own thing and be self-directed. You know, the kids need time away from their adults. They need the space to do things on their own, you know, in an age-appropriate fashion, of course. Yeah. You know, although, you know, I've seen a lot of older brothers and sisters taking care of some brilliant two- and three-year-olds out in the street without parents, you know, and that in itself is gold. You know, some people would say, oh, you're putting too much responsibility on those children. Maybe under certain circumstances. But there are a lot of circumstances where that's completely okay. Yeah. You know, and, and where the child can go out into the community and that older child then gets the sense of responsibility. They feel more grown up. They feel like they're contributing and they have some ownership over their over their siblings. You know, it creates you know great practice for being an adult. Yeah. And you're seeing this day to day in your role. And it's a very unique role. Could you break that down for our listeners? Who's prior at Nature Play Queensland and then moving over? Break that down. It's exciting. I love this role because, you know, I loved my time at Nature Play Queensland too. And that was super important. And um, it, it laid the pathway for where I am right now. This role is more solution focused. 
context and it's got the potential to have significant impact because it's taking pretty much the population scale approach to change and all that change is implemented by a community focusing on increasing the playability of their community and we're talking about a whole city so across I mean I'm working in Logan and, and most people know Logan from a point of external view outside they hear about the disadvantage and social issues that are related to that and they're definitely there but they're there in most communities and if you were to ask the child if you take a child-centered view on these things which I always like to do the child doesn't see any of that the child sees none of that external view children will listen to what other people tell them about their community but they will make their opinion of their community and based on their experience as well as that external view but they're from my experience if a child has connection with their community face-to-face connection and it's a place where kids can play with other local friends it totally overpowers any social stigma put on you know and that in itself is an amazing beautiful thing yeah personally like living on the gold coast now with a family on the gold coast but actually I'm spending a big chunk of my childhood in the Logan region and you've prompted me to reflect on that quite a lot and my experience there and it was only upon reflection as an adult I created that stigma around the area only within reflection because it wasn't at the time when I reflect at the time it was the bush behind the housing commission estate where I was. It was the times in the parks and the skate and the rides to schools and the waiting for the bus, all the things I remember. And there was none of that stigma. Yeah, that's right. I grew up in a similar community. You know, I mean, South Australia was a very disadvantaged area in the terms of what they, how they classify these things. But to a child, it meant nothing to me. I had an amazing neighbourhood. Yep. My neighbourhood provided me and bestowed on me all the gifts and the opportunities to grow into the person sitting in front of you right now. Yeah, for our international listeners... Can you give an overview of the size and the reach of what's going on in Logan? Yeah, so Logan um, as a population is in Queensland, Australia. It's made up of about 10 mega councils or mega shires, I suppose you would say. And um, Logan City count has um, 66,000 children in it. And then I think the population, the overall population is just over 300,000 in that city. In terms of scale and size, it's huge. I think if you were to drive from one side of the, of the, of the Shire to the other, you would still be driving after about 50 kilometres, I'd imagine. So it's pretty, pretty big. And it's, it's wedged in between Brisbane and the Gold Coast. Yeah. And um, going back to your role and... What's the day-to-day look like for you within what? And I know you're one of the busiest people in play. I think it's you and Claire Warden that are the busiest people. Um, <laughs> so um, give us a breakdown what that day looks like. A lot of, of relationship building. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm working for an organisation at the moment I have called Logan Together. I'm also on the board of the Australian Institute of Play, um, which has been established. So I'll, I'll get to that story. Um, so Logan Together is a, is a community development project and it's called a collective impact approach. Um, collective impact is a, is a, a framework for community uh, development and, and uh, it's a framework for uh, social change. And the way it works is it um, builds the relationships and the empowers, and empowers the community to make the change that they need. And, and that's really important. Uh, it, it's got to be driven by the community, owned by the community for that change. 
And so you're here sitting talking to me and it sounds like I've had all this um, uh, that I've been doing. It's not. It's actually the community. So in terms of the day-to-day what I do, I talk to community all the time. Constantly, um, I am. You've got a bazillion relationships uh, with the with the community. They've got them. I've I've been really benefit uh, blessed um, to have been able to establish so many great relationships across the city of Logan. Um, and currently, I'm working with about 87 different organisations, from schools to healthcare services to early childhood services to community hubs, and all the way to a whole gamut of parents. Those relationships, working with those people, talking to them about play, talking to them about the children that they support and what they're seeing and the changes that they would like to make. And probably the most important people who I have relationships with at the moment are the kids. So there's a lot of children in Logan who have lots to say about their play. It's really important for me. Uh, There's a great saying in in the collective impact um, framework. It's nothing about them without them. So how do we make change without children? How do we make change without parents? How do we make change without all the stakeholders involved in making a neighbourhood more playful? You can't. Hmm. Um, sometimes you've got to take the lead and, and push. What's that uh, Margaret Mead saying? Don't underestimate the power of a small group of people to change the world. And in fact, that's the only thing that's ever, ever done it. Hmm. And, and that's what happens here. We're, we're, we're working in, in communities, in streets, in schools, um, in Logan, and we're focusing on, on supporting the whole city of Logan, anyone who is, wants anything to do with this play, to get on board. And um, my role is to support them with how they want to do that happening, make that happening in their spaces. And they are getting on board in droves. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, because we've got this um, perception that play is this thing that's been forgotten. And play is this thing that used to be, and it's kind of this long reach at the moment. But you actually being in neighbourhoods and actually having a dialogue with people, they're telling you they need it. Yes, they want it. Yeah. Yes, I mean, and and you know, this goes back to the advocacy stuff that I did at Nature Play Queensland. Uh, a lot of the time, all 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 the questions that you need to ask is, what did you do as a child? Mm. Um, what gifts did they give you? And can your children do it now? And, and if, if the answer is yes, then well done. If the answer is no, then would you like to do something about that? Yeah. Um, and most people do. Yeah. Lenore Skenazy was on the last episode of the podcast and she said one of the most impactful things she likes to ask parents is what were the things that you enjoyed as a child? And out of that list, what are the things you don't let your child do now? I've been watching kids in neighbourhoods at the moment that I've been working with. Such immense joy and so, so reap so many incredible benefits from that. And then they're just doing that in the street, just in the street. I mean, when I say that, it's because when I reflect on my childhood, my roaming distance was uh, at least about 10 kilometres, mm. especially on my bike. You know, once I got wheels, whew, I could go large distances. In and, and I would you know, not be expected to be home um, until the sun comes out. That's something that a lot of parents, I don't think, could add on their list. No, no way. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. Um, one of the things that I really love to see is capturing that child's voice with that we jointly did a project together with the um, days of play and then having mm. that dialogue, sitting the children in the throne and asking them what they think about their play. What were some of the outcomes of collecting the data from child's view of play in their neighbourhoods? 
a really important thing from that day is that most kids don't understand what a neighbourhood is. Mm. That was really important. If I also talk to children who, and what I mean by that is that conceptually, most of the children I talked to didn't even have a framework for what a neighbourhood is. And they started to try to define it. They would say, oh, do you mean my school? And I'm like, is it on your street? No. Is it in close to you? No. Uh, do you mean my sports club? No. Uh, that's not your, I mean, is it in your street? Is it where you live? You know, um, so what I learned was is that a lot of kids don't have a framework for understanding in their brain what a neighbourhood is. But if you ask a child who has that com- that community of kids where they play, they make the leap straight away. When I start, when we ask that question around, what do you play in your neighbourhood? They go, yeah, sure, I do. And I'm like, well, who do you play with? And they tell, start telling me you know, they, who, they, who they're playing with. If they don't have that direct experience with a neighbourhood, they don't have a framework for it. And what that means is it has no value to them. Yeah. It's, got, it's not there as, a, as that sanctuary I described at the start. Yeah. For them, it's got no, yeah, it has no value. Yeah. It's, just a, it's just a place where they live. Yeah. It's like describe to me something that you've never engaged with, don't have an understanding of, never seen it, touched it, feel it, anything, but describe it yes. to me and now look at it and now care yeah. for it. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, I know. And I mean, I'm a huge advocate for what Richard Louvre, all the great work that Richard Louvre's done when he talks about the last child in the woods and the nature deficit disorders. Um, for me, a lot of that work is the foundation for what I'm doing. You know, I, I, I'm here having a conversation with you about getting kids out into their communities uh, because that's how they're going to find nature and they're going to build connections with it. And that's how they, when they climb those trees, when they play in those wild bush settings, you know, when they dig in these, dig dirt and they muck around and find all those incredible, wonderful things that are in nature, uh, you know, that, that's how they build that. But first they've got to get outside the front door. Yeah. And they've got to do it in a self-directed way. Yeah. Through your experience and seeing that the na- these parents are asking for it, the communities are asking to get their children outside more, to play, to make safer neighbourhoods, where are we falling short? Because if it's happening from that end... Where's the blocks to actually make this, like, get that critical mass so it's just completely adopted? And that's a great question. And I think it really, I've been pondering this one for quite a long time too. And there's lots of little things. You can say screens, technology. You can say fear, anxiety. You could say all those things. And and you're right, cars and traffic. And they are logistical things. They are um, things that have filled our lives. But they have filled our lives uh, because, and I think it gets down to this, intentionality. As parents who are the gatekeepers to all this, we have never had to be intentional in this space. My neighbourhood was there and accessible to me because my parents grew up in a time where they expected when I went out into the community that I would be fine and safe and all okay. So they never had to be intentional about it. Now we have reduced the horizons of children and their, their opportunities for freedom and, and, and self-direction to spaces where adults are constantly supervising. We have to then be more intentional about it. We have to create those, in, those communities intentionally. And when we do do it, the adults automatically recognise the grown-ups, automatically recognise the benefits for their children, and they take pride in it. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, they're like, wow, look what we've done. This is amazing. Look what the gift we've given our kids. Yeah. You know, and when they see the benefits of their children, 
automatically. And I think it all just gets down to us for the first time in history having to be intentional about this. We have to say our neighbourhoods are the most important place for our kids in their development. It's their sanctuary. They need it. And we have to make it a space for them. And a right. And a right. I love this phrase from Richard Louvre. He says, we need to act before we forget. We have forgotten normal. Yes. I think we're right in that void at the moment between activating people's nostalgic brain as parents to go, oh, actually, yeah, but also getting over the leap of not having that generational education from our parents to guide us as parents how to support our children. So it's kind of like we need to reform that link in the chain to get yes. this generational learning, to continue in this generational value of the rights of our children is intentional or unintentional as it was for a generation ago. It's still just as integral that hold that link together. And it's going to take a leap of faith for parents now yeah. because that I think a lot of folks have already gone way down the rabbit hole. Like I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. The distrust and the fear of the community is so palpable in, in, for some folks that they just can't move beyond it. They're not willing to take risks. They think their children are so precious and they're right, they are. But it's, um, you know, we've got to get back to what our kids need and they need that autonomy. They need that self-direction. They need that freedom. They need those places where they can access them just outside their front door. They need other children. They need them more at at certain stages of childhood and they need their adults and they need their parents. Yeah. And just because they are precious doesn't mean they're not capable. Exactly. Exactly. And they build that capability by experience. And if parents are fearful and anxious, I get it. Then for the first little while, go with them. Then make a plan to not be there. And we're not talking all, this isn't all in theory. I might highlight to our listeners you've got on the street literally on the street perspective of this so give us some examples of the challenges you're facing from a parent community um, side and then we will go into some examples of how people have overcome that and then the amazing impact and go into those articles and feature stories done on news channels and things now so um, uh, in terms of the challenges the, the ones that I've come up with come up against are um, again, that intentionality and people making a commitment to it all and keeping that commitment at the forefront. The adult agenda can quickly creep in. Uh, I've seen people start this journey on to create neighbourhood play networks and start build, re- rebuilding those local connections for kids and with all great intentions to start up with. But then, you know, other things creep in and they get tired and they get fatigued or they forget that the child is at the centre of, of it all. Or, you know, um, unwilling to look at themselves as the barrier. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's the, one of the biggest, hardest things that our parents, you know, I, I'm not here to put guilt on parents. I'm no. not. You know, for me, this is the child. I'm at the child. I'm, I'm focusing specifically from the child, you know, and as a parent, you know, we have to face up to facts. Of how are we the block? Mm. How are we making this impossible for our kids to connect? Is it our fear? Is there anxiety? And if it is that, what are the legitimacies of those fears? Mm. What real outcomes happen? I know a lot of people who are scared on a day-to-day basis of things that they've never had any experience of. 
You know, when was the last time you were in danger? When was the last time your child was in danger? And for some people, it will be a real thing. And that's I, I, for, for, for the majority of us. I've, I've talked to so many kids now who their top, prior, their top fear of their community is being kidnapped. And then I ask them, so has a kidnap happened in your community? Oh, no. Have you, do you know anyone who's ever been kidnapped? No, they don't know anyone mm. either. Um, so that's been pushed onto children that they could get taken at any time. You know, we can arm our kids with great advice on how to be alert to the to the to the um, perils of stranger danger. You know, um, and and um, you know, and what to do about those things. You know, there's there's great um, risk management strategies, I suppose you could say. You know, for those for those kids. And, you know, like um, going out in groups. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 there's no record that I'm aware of, uh, of of children being taken and abducted when they're with another child. Yeah. So, you know, so there's all these things, these unwarranted fears. So that's, for me, it's uh, getting back to the original question. We need to be intentional at the start, that, that intentionality, but then that commitment to look at our own fears and anxieties and how we are as the parent being the block. Yeah. And from a community activation point not just delivering a program because it doesn't no, work no it's a long-term thing and it shouldn't cost money it shouldn't be loaded up with permits and application forms and things like that it shouldn't have to mean you have to do it all but jump through a whole bunch of hoops to yeah. make it happen you because know? it won't uh, all, more friction less action yes and a child who knows their community and has a connection with their community will make it happen yeah and what I'm hearing there time and time again about implementing this and getting action and what you're doing, you're just giving the facts. You're not, you're not creating a story. You're not, you're, not, you're not even extending on a story or a narrative. You're like, okay, what is the facts around this? If children don't play outside, they're not learning the life skills. You know, having that education of awareness in your environment as you're adventuring through with your friends, that ties into that city you're in later in life when they can later hopefully travel around the world and that awareness needs to be there. Otherwise, yes. what a disservice we're doing. We're not letting children experience life and then we push them into the real world and say, that's life, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. And they and crumble. Kids can't cope with pressure anymore. Kids aren't resilient. And kids can't you know, cope with feedback. And, you know, all these things. I'm like, wow, well, we've created the conditions for those behaviours to be prevalent. You know, it's like, so, yeah, where's the ownership? Yeah, and that what? protection factor that is having that monumental impact. And look, all you have to do is look at the rates of mental health and suicide in teens, and it's uh, more important than anything. It's far more impactful than a pandemic for yeah. our teens. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's some um, great stuff around teenage brains and how important peers are in mm. terms of um, social development. Uh, you know, you know cut off that contact, social isolation and loneliness, I get it. I understand why we've got anxiety and, and um, you know, school refusal is, yeah. is becoming such a huge thing. You know, parents who cannot get their kids to go to school. Yeah. And kids who are choosing and refusing to not go to school because of the social anxiety and so, so attached with that space. Another barrier uh, for me uh, that I'm, I'm noticing time and time again is um, we've got communities that don't welcome kids. We've got a street where if a child is out in it, there's the immediate question of why is that kid there? Yeah. You know, 
where are the parents? Someone is being neglected. And I'm hearing stories, even like if we're looking at it from an equity perspective, I'm even hearing stories of child safety being poor and children having you know, threats of being removed from their parents because their parents choose to let them go out in the community. Yeah. These, these are not okay circumstances. But also it's specific communities where that's happening as well. It's not the affluent areas where the kids are out. It's the children in these certain demographics that are suffering the repercussions of this. I've heard stories from First Nations families in Logan who say they have to play in hiding because they're concerned that their children will be, someone will call child safety on them and someone will take them away. You know, they have those stories rolling around the community and, and there's real examples that go along with that. So it's not just a hearsay. What's your thoughts on how we got to this stage of not honouring children? Um, an article I shared, I'm not sure you saw it yet, um, from the age about Melbourne. Melbourne's currently in lockdown. It was in lockdown over 200 days last year. And a lot of families were going out into the parks for play and building their own structures and building their own cubbies. And now the council are going through and, no, that's not safe. Rip it out. They're chopping it down. Um, you know, the playground assessment people came out to the park and said, no, that cubby's not structurally sound, so we've got to destroy it as a part of the community. How did we get here, really? I don't know. Because <laughs> it seems uh, fast. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah. I mean again, it's, it points to that lack of intentionality, I suppose. You know, I mean, and, I mean, that intentionality, if we had the intentionality to create those um, places where children um, pl uh, play, all the time and we value it yeah. and that's what that's where it gets down to that value of play and what kids get from those experiences then um you know those 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 we, uh, uh, the fact that it's become an article to me mm. in, in the paper says to me that people think it's ridiculous and it's, it's an outrage you know and that there's a, a um so to me that says people do value play they, then they also value the fact that they should have choice over what they do in their communities, mm. you know, um, and, and you know, and their parks. So the the fact that the, that article even exists to me says the community has spoken. You know, I suppose how many people will read that article? And I mean, that's the journalists' take on it. Yeah. Obviously, the community has has plugged into those news newsrooms and said this is happening in our communities, yeah. and we're not happy about it. That's great. That's a good sign. Val, there is strong value for play out. I suppose with councils, you know, they 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 live on that fear of of um, litigation. You know, if we let that public space have that playground, uh, that cubby house there, and someone knocks something over and hurts themselves, they'll sue the council. I don't know the statistics around actual law cases that happen against councils for those sorts of things. I'd be interested to know. Yeah. Um, and you know, but I would like to think that most people accept the responsibility that if, you know, that the council didn't build that plat, that cubby house that some kids have and uh, if they knock it over and falls on someone, that the council won't be to blame for it. Yeah. It's a tough one, you know, because everyone's looking to point a finger somewhere and yeah. someone should be accountable. Mm. So, I mean... When 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 is it okay for us to accept mistakes and and, and have accidents and and learn personal responsibility? Yeah. For me, um, when I was at uni, I, uh, and we were looking at risk management in a degree, I read this great article and I still remember the line. And it says, um, "Risk management will says 
to people, yes, you have the right to be safe, but it's going to cost you your personal responsibility. And that's, that's a great um, framing of what play is. It's about having that responsibility, that ownership, and we actually learn it through play. So we need some play philosophy pushing through into council mindset, I think. Um, speaking, yeah. speaking of journalism, a play street you're involved with um, just got a bunch of publicity. So talk to us about that, like how it started and what the results were. So again, with this, back to the collective impact mm. and the community development stuff, we held a forum in a community. We held lots of forums, actually, in the, in the, in the Logan community across a fair few of the suburbs. And we asked people to come to these neighbourhood forums and um, let's have a chat about neighbourhood play. And at those forums... We talked about the importance of play, the importance of neighbourhoods. We asked that question about where did you play as an, as an adult and, um, and uh, can your kids do that? And then we put forward a proposal of, uh, of support for six months to an, an adult a parent in um, uh, three of the communities. We could run with three of the communities. And one of the mums who, who was at that forum said, I would like to do this in my street. And uh, so we went on a six-month journey to help her activate her street. She did not know anyone in that community when we started. And now it's this thriving play street on auto drive. And every day the kids are out playing, every day, without fail. And they have taken over their road. They have not waited for any authority to come and support them to, have that, to make that happen. They have just taken it because it has such huge value and they have learned to manage the risks alongside it. They have risks there. There's a, a blind corner corner right up the top of the street and they've got this cool hill that runs down. It's really playful. They go all the way to the top of this hill on their skateboards and their scooters and their bikes and they get up to the point where they can see around the blind corner and they can look down the other end so they, they know there's no traffic coming and they roll down this hill. And um, when, I, when we first started there, no, no child could do it on a skateboard. They all can do it now. And there were some kids there who were on trainer wheels. None of them were on trainer wheels anymore. They're all doing it on their bikes. They've all had all these incredible skills. And they've supported each other to do this. I was watching one of the times I was there recently, you know, uh, um, a four-year-old girl being supported by a 10-year-old girl to, to, on her bike, you know, to get past the training wheels. You know, and, and it was, you know, it's just beautiful to watch everything that's unfolding in that street. And I, I went there with the view of that. I really want to get kids more active. That was my, my, my mission. It's like, oh, kids are inside and set of entry, staying on their devices. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and I was hoping for physical activity. I knew there'd be some social outcomes that go along with it, but I had no idea how important and, and strong those outcomes would be for children in protecting their mental health. Yeah, and they shared with you directly some of those things as well. Yes, yeah, and loneliness and isolation were a strong thing. One of the favourite questions at the end of the six months of, of, of myself um, um, being involved, uh, one of the great questions we asked them, uh, I asked them was, if someone was to turn around and say to you, no more, pack it up, Go inside, no more playing on your stretch. You're not allowed to do it anymore. And you should see the responses from these children. It was so offensive and so disempowered. You could see straight away the power being stripped away from these kids, a power that they had now. 
And that power being stripped away lasted about two seconds and they just went into revolt. They're like, you can't tell us what to do in our street. It's our street. This is um, I remember one of the children been on this huge rant about, I don't care if the police come. I don't care. We'll stand out here. We'll protest all together, you know. And, and she went on, she goes, you know, it's okay for them. They got their cool jobs. They got their friends that they hang out with all day. We need our friends. We need our friends. <laughs> I like yeah. one of those um there was something you shared with me a while back i don't want to ruin it but about having backup friends yeah what a great thing hey like that that, get, that again goes to that sanctuary you know that that community if kids go to school and they've got friends at school great what about for all those kids who have a tough day at school who do they go home to after they've had that tough day at school you got your parents sure but for children a lot of confidence and competence comes about being a friend. And, you know, and they're, they're, so when they got, if they go home from school and they've had a tough day at school and they feel like they've lost all their friends that day, which happens regularly in primary school and, and high school, you know, they can go home to a community that is waiting for them and knows them on a deeper level, on a more intimate level, because they're actually in their houses. Yeah. And has an understanding of the relationships that they have with their families has all these incredible things that relationships on a more intimate level. Um, they can go back to that sanctuary and they can talk about their day. They can talk about their problems. Well, they don't even have to talk about it. They've got a friend who will support them to do whatever they want, you know, and, and it's that backup friend. I mean, that in itself is such a huge protective factor for mental health. Hmm. You know, if you want good, positive mental health, having other people to talk about is, is absolutely pivotal, especially for children in their development, developmental years. And so, you know, the neighbourhood is that sanctuary, you know, and not just having one friend, it's having lots of friends. One of the kids said to us, and, and this is girl seven, she was able to articulate this at seven. And she said, and I mean, you've got to read a little between the lines of it. I mean, her exact words were, um, if, if someone's being angry with me, I've got other people who I can play with. Hmm. So... That's what she wants. That's that. I mean, a play is so valuable to her, and but the diversity of friends. So if that person, even at that house there, or that play, that game over there, even on the street, is not okay. I still got those guys over there who I can play with. Yeah. So having these options, what great, great, great protective factors. Yeah. And what was the standouts for the parent? Ah, for the parents. Wow. Knowing that the children are more settled happy choosing to connect in real life one of the things a parent said to me was sometimes i would before all this happened before the neighborhood play networks i used to have to go and check on them in their rooms and in different places because the house was so quiet the house was so quiet because they would just sit on ipads and and, and, and screens and you know for me that the, the rise of the ipad in childhood demand is because kids don't have neighborhoods to play in. And this comment is totally proves that. You know, the kids, now that they have these communities, they still have the iPads. They can go on and use them. They choose not to. Real to face face-to-face children. You know, and, and that's what that's what that's what's important to them. So for them, parents, the greatest benefits for the parents is knowing that they're creating and carving something out for their children that's so important for them. And knowing that their kids are so happy and healthy and active, and social, and settled, they're sleeping better, everything is aligning. I mean, as a parent, one of the greatest things to do is to go to bed at night knowing that you've done a great job being a parent that day. That's, that's, that's the benefit for those parents. You know, they get to go to sleep knowing that 
they've carved something out really important for their kids. And this is this will soon be replicated again and again. Yeah, I mean, we're on this mission, like I said, to make Logan the most playful city in the world. And, um, you know, I think we're well on our way. You know, we've got a Logan-wide play action plan and neighbourhood play networks is just one part of it. But we hope a whole gamut of networks starts to infiltrate a city. When you look at a population scale approach that's making these changes, suddenly other cities look at it and go, well, maybe we can do that. Yeah. Maybe we can adopt a city-wide play plan. I mean, because the, the benefits are not just for the children. No. It's for the whole community. Yeah, where that coming back to that act local, think global mindset. Yeah. And when it comes to thinking global in this bigger way and having these, having different programs that complement each other, an exciting um, development happening in Logan is the Childhood Summit coming yes. up. So yes. how does that, the Childhood Summit coming up, give us a breakdown of what it is and why it's important. It's our time to celebrate. It's our time to sh shine a light on everything that's happening. Uh, 450, over 450 professionals, people who work with children in Logan, have done professional development around increasing play. We're working with over five schools at the moment, well, over 11 schools actually, but five of them are, are implementing their own play action plans at a school. Yeah. They're looking at the whole environment. How do we make our spaces more playful? How do we ensure our teachers understand and value play? How do we create the conditions where kids feel they can have ownership and drive and be self-directed? And don't just walk around and wander aimlessly, you know, in breaks. How do they, and, and the impact that has on the education we can get. I mean, if we want to get adult-centric, we can look at the great things it does for kids' education. You know, most children aren't really worried about that. But, you know, they're making school the funnest place to be. Yeah. And they're seeing huge results. They're seeing kids stay at school. Um, one school had, and I think you've talked to Steve Kanowski, yeah. Principal Steve Kanowski, you know, like he's seen massive reduction in, in behaviour-related suspensions. And that's a, a, a becoming a common theme with schools who are following his suit in Logan and doing more of that. So we've got these great play-action plans happening in different schools. We've got early childhood services, community services, um, even commercial operators doing more play-based stuff. The Childhood Summit is our chance to bring everybody together and, and those neighbourhood play networks, to bring everybody together and celebrate because being connected to something bigger than our street, our school, our community, to know that it's having such a huge impact on everything, on changing the narrative in our community is such a powerful thing. And the Childhood Summit is that opportunity for that to happen. And the thing I love a lot about the Childhood Summit is the children are put at the centre of that and they are the experts. You know, and one of the great things we're doing there is we're giving kids the platform to be the keynote presenters. We're paying them to be there. They're being valued for their time and their expertise mm. in what they can add value to this um, big play action plan that we're creating. You know? And, um, and they, their voices are the foundation for the legacy of that summit, which is a five-year plan for play, to increase play across Logan and work on that mission to make Logan the most playful city in the world. So the children have told us what they want. The adult's job at the Childhood Summit is to come together, celebrate our success, and create new plans, collaborative plans that we all agree on, on a way to move forward and make more play happen in Logan and achieve our goal. And you've got some ex-amazing speakers coming. Can you yes. share with us some of those? And so we've, we're going to celebrate. We are going to 
demonstrate some great practices, get some more info from those experts that then we can work in conjunction with that child's voice, combine them to make sure they're rigid and solid and it's not just done on a whim and they're backed and then feeding them back into the program, the community for the community to take a hold of. That's right. That's right. I mean, there's one of the great things of a, of a collective impact approach is it gives people who want to invest in real change for communities a channel to do it. That's the beauty of collective impact. You've got a whole community invested in this. You've got so many people who want to make change from the ground up. Yeah. I mean, that's that's power. And this you know, is like a fuzzy, fuzzy, feel good, you know, let's get everyone involved. There's actually, this is now, it's at a stage now where there's actually evidence that the, the community is taking this on, have, is having impact. And then the beautiful thing is, other agencies, other people are starting to look at this going, oh, this is actually working. Yes. Yes. And they'll adopt it if it works, if they see the benefits. I mean, it'll show up eventually. You know, we're only at the beginning of this journey and that's, you know, that has to be recognised. You know, this is a long-term plan. Uh, um, uh, uh, but we have to start. We have to start now. And um, we should have started a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and and uh, we... Uh, uh, and you know, this long-term plan will end up showing up. There'll be less kids, the education results will increase and they'll get better because they'll spend more time at their schools and, and love their schools. Um, you'll see less um, incidences of crime, I suppose, because um, you know, the value of their community and people being out in the community is safety. Mm. That's what the parents tell us. The parents tell us that they, their, their community has never feel, felt more safe. Yeah. And that's because they have connection with them, you know. And then, um, then there's also the fact that there'll, there'll, there'll be less health outcome, uh, negative health outcomes, you know, with kids not indoors, less uh, being more active and having those huge protective factors around their mental health. That's going to be a huge positive. Who do you want coming to the summit? Anybody who's a gatekeeper to children's play. And if you don't think you're a gatekeeper to children's play, maybe have a think about this question. Is there any decisions that you make about a community that would reduce a child's capacity to play? Or do you have the ability to make a decision that will increase a child's ability to play? So for me, politicians play a huge role. Local governments play a huge role. But so does every single community member, every single community, grandparents, uncles, aunties, parents, Kids, early childhood educators, ed school educators, teachers, coordinators, community centres. There's so many places and spaces where kids play. That that um, and, and kids. One of the things to remember, I think about play is kids play where they are. So you know, people can all sign up and be part of shifting the narrative and restarting a culture of play and a culture where kids are welcome in their community. Who are some of those speakers? you've got coming along, ah. share, give a little taster. Okay, so uh, one of the more fun ones that we've got is uh, Joe Brum, who is the creator of Bluey. You know, the ABC it's number one television show. It's a child's, child's show called Bluey. And for those people who don't know who Bluey is, um, he's a, he's a, it's a great cartoon that, uh, for children, uh, but I think parents get a lot out of it. And that's why he's coming. He's coming to talk about playful parenting. 
and uh, um, I would encourage anyone who hasn't seen any Bully episodes to go and have a watch at some watch, watch some of them. Um, so he'll be there, and he's talking about playful parenting. Uh, we've also got uh, Natalia Krisiak who did uh, a Churchill Fellowship on looking across the globe at the best practice cities for play, and she will be coming to share her research, but also run some workshops for children on what they would like um, to see their neighbourhoods be as a playful place that is welcoming for children. So she's coming and, and she'll be there. We've got the National Children's Commissioner, Anne, Anne Hollands, uh, who's you know the National Advocate for Children, uh, who, who will be part of this voice. We've got, we've got the CEO for Amnesty International, Sam Klimware, and she's going to be coming along. We've got Paul Tranter, who's just released a book called Slow Cities, and he's talking. he's been... I think written 11 books on this topic about how to make cities more uh, welcoming for everybody, especially children. So he'll be coming to share his research. We also have someone uh, called Lucas Ritson. He'll be there talking about <laughs> all of his great wealth of information he's learned about his playful research too. Who else will be there? Dr. Gregor Muse, the professor yeah. of play. Uh, we'll be talking about how public spaces can become more playful. We also have a couple of school principals around the area uh, so this is our chance to celebrate a lot of a lot of stories from this community. Will be will given will be given the stage to share the success of what they've done, and that includes a couple of the school principals. He, he just submitted his, uh, one of them, Andrew Barnes, submitted his um, synopsis yesterday, and it's called "Our Wonderful Mess." <laughs> uh, and, I, and I can't wait to to hear that story uh, um, because he talks about how the this this play space. Is, has quickly become the most play, popular part of, part of their school, but he's seeing it have such huge significant benefits for the kids that he's had the most challenges with as a principal. Mm. So uh, uh, he's got some great stories and to tell. And it's front and centre as well. Yes. Yeah. So lots of, lots, of, lots of great reasons to come. Panel discussions, forums. We're taking one forum on, on um, child-friendly neighbourhoods. He's taking a, sort of a paddock to plate Mm. approach to to uh, how do we uh, again all those people involved in, in in delivering a community where a child can walk outside their front door and play um, will be involved in those discussions from researchers to land developers to um, um, counselors um, and and everybody else and um, so, we'll have, we have a number of um, children speakers yes yeah we've I'm got an application about. going at the moment Yes, I'll speakers. put the application for children of that Logan community in the show notes. So if you know any children of that community, please share it with them. We want to hear all voices. Definitely, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, children will get, this is their chance to have their voice heard. Um, they may not get a speaker role, but their voice will still be heard. It'll go into those play action planning set, uh, um, notes that we're collecting for children. And so it's part of that consultation process with kids. And, um, yeah, their voice will be contributed. Excellent, excellent. Um, there'll be a pop-up playground that people will be able to register to as, for as well. The Imaginasium will be on site. Loose parts, pop-up play, um, manned by the crew from the outsiders. Yes, yes. I mean, we've had an incredible amount of in-kind support for this event. Yeah, uh, and I've done the dollar figure on. Do you want to hear the dollar figure on the incredible amount of in-kind support? Of course, sixty-one thousand dollars worth of in-kind support so far. Phenomenal, and that shows that it's got traction. That this matters to people, 
And I encourage anyone that wants to have an input on their community. If you're an early childhood teacher, teacher from a school, um, run any programs, you have a relationship with a child or you have been a child before, this is for you. All right. So um, it's not a thing about making money. It's not a big conference where we're going to do gala dinners. This conference and summit, I should say, is about impact and handing that on to the community and just giving them what they deserve in the form of momentum. We, we decided to adopt the Childhood Summit format because it was the platform created for us to stop, pause and have a think about how are our kids doing? Yeah. How are they doing? And especially in relation to their play. And it's also the opportunity for us to hear directly from kids about that. Yeah. How are they doing? And then what can we then do as a community to rally around our kids. I love, I, I love this, the Maasai culture, cultural group from Africa still has such strong roots, such strong roots to their culture. Um, when they meet each other and they come together and they welcome, they don't say g'day, they don't say hello, they don't say how are you doing. They say, how are the children doing? That's their welcome. That's their greeting. That's how they greet each other. How are the children doing? And that's because they're taking the temperature and the measurement of their whole community based on how the kid's doing. This is us at the Childhood Summit going, how are the kids doing? And if they don't get the response, the kids are doing well, then there's something that we need to do about that. And I can tell you, those kids in that neighborhood play network, they're doing well. Mm. They're doing real well. And I've got to say a huge thank you and respect to you for constantly asking that question and posing that question to so many people including myself and i invite the listeners if you ask yourself that question and you don't get the answer you expect let's take some action together and you're supported in your journey as well there's groups out there that can come alongside you other community activation um, where can people find out more information about the summit about the work you do community play well uh the summit you go to www.childhoodsummit.com .org.au and you'll find everything you need to know there. Um, if you want to find out more about all the play stuff, I would go to the Australian Institute of Play website and, and get in contact. I'd love to hear from anybody about this. Excellent. On that note, all of the things we discussed will be in the show notes. The links to um, previous guests that have been on the podcast and even we'll chuck in The Last Child in the Woods for the people that haven't read that because it's a really important, influential book. Can I please take time to say thank you to you, Lucas, and all the great work that you do in your community. You know, this is above and beyond. Um, having these conversations are really important. And having them there as, as in an archive where people can draw on them. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a record in time. And so congratulations on, on everything you've achieved with this podcast. It's such an incredible resource for people. And I, I for one, love sharing them with all the community. And there's such a wealth of conversations on here now that if, um, you know, if someone's asking me about an issue around play, I'm pretty sure there's a podcast on the Play It Forward um, uh, a series now that addresses those issues. So well done. Thank it's incredible. You. Thank you so much. It's definitely a passion and it it does me a great wealth of good just to check in with the journey and just have another vessel to support community where we can. So thanks so much for the nice words. 
What a great chat with a great human, a person that doesn't just talk the talk, but walks the walk. Thank you so much for joining us again on another Play It Forward Worthy podcast.